It's Sunday night, it's 9.30, and it's time for the Jersnet podcast. Absolutely live, and as always, totally free Rangers content by fans and for fans. the Rangers fix that we're all needing to get through the international break uh, before we get right back to the real thing next weekend. If it's your first time joining us on the podcast, remember we are absolutely live and we want you to get involved with the show this week by leaving us all your comments and all your questions on the YouTube stream. I'll be keeping an eye on that throughout the show and we'll get to as many of those as possible because with no game, we haven't really got a hell of a lot else to talk about. Um, The pod is also going to be available to download from Monday morning, so make sure you do subscribe to that so you never miss a thing. Tonight on the show, we're going to be taking a look back at the season so far. We're going to be discussing the latest with the director of football. There's been a new wee development there this evening, just in the last few minutes. Um, We're going to be talking about the takeover appeal panel, all of that stuff, um, and all the latest from throughout the week. My name's Ross Bennett, and I'm going to be your Jersnet podcast host this evening. It's fantastic to be back in the chair, and I'm delighted to be joined by two of our Jersnet regulars. First up, it's our very own gaffer, Frankie. Frankie, how's your weekend been? Hi Ross. Uh, aye, uh, a very good weekend. My youngest daughter's away in London just now, so um, the house is a bit quieter than what it usually is. And uh, giving some attention to my oldest daughter for a change, along with my my, uh, my wife, unfortunately. Jeez, well, I hope she's not listening. Unfortunately, she yeah. knows I want to kid in. I, I think my oldest daughter might be listening, so she's probably went through and told her by now. But well, excellent. I hope I hope we're not causing a domestic there. Um, also with us this evening, it's a very, very warm welcome back to John McCallum. John, how have you been enjoying the return of the international football? Yeah, it's been great. I've been clearing out the spare room so Frankie can move in shortly after the divorce. Um, I got a new dog and got a new dog what? yesterday, which was the highlight of the weekend. What, uh, what kind of, sorry? What kind, of, what kind of dog have you got? To be fair, we've only got 45 minutes. Um because it, it would probably be easier then for me to tell you what kind of dog it isn't. Right. It's, 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 there's a few, it's a mixed parentage, let's just say. Right. I, I think it comes from a long line of people, long line of dogs who would speak with any dog. Excellent. Well, not, not, not in the kennel club. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that he'll be making his podcast debut at some point throughout the evening. Yeah, you have a fair chance. <laughs> Right, lads. Um, as I say, there's no week, no game this week, but we've still cobbled together a load of stuff to talk about. And, and like I say to everyone listening, we want you to get involved with the show. Um, it's fantastic to hear people's comments, hear your thoughts, hear your questions, and we'll, we'll get through as many of those as we possibly can. Um, but I think the only place to start so far, we are still sat top of the league for the second week running, um, despite the fact there's been no game. So that's uh, that's been absolutely fantastic. Frankie, Racking your brains, when was the last time that we had such a strong start to the season? I mean, that's three points dropped throughout the season, no games drawn, one game lost. Um, it's all looking pretty rosy on the domestic front, isn't it? Aye, it is. Um, really can't ask for much more. Obviously, the, the old firm disappointment aside, we've, we've really done well. I was I, I noticed you'd put that on the agenda beforehand, when was our last or our best start um, compared to this one? And I, I must admit, I couldn't find it. I was looking it up. However, just to, for comparison's sake, I know last year was our worst start for 29 years previous to that. So you can definitely say there's been improvement. So I think that's what we were all after, um, domestically at least, and and to to also qualify for the Europa League again and get through the, the qualifiers for that, I think is pretty good going two years in a row. I don't think many teams, if any, have done that. Um, so I think I think we're all asking for progress and I think we've, we've seen that in the last... Uh, Last year and a bit under Stephen Gerrard, it's just um, it's it's annoying as well, though, because obviously the, the the Celtic game was a big disappointment. We were really poor that day. I think the manager his selection wasn't great either, so I think he has to hold his hands up. And, and then obviously the the defeat um, away to Young Boys uh, ten days ago was was a, a big letdown as well. I mean, we really should have taken something out of that game. And I think again the manager, I think is is was a bit naive towards the end of the game. I think. He, it allowed the, the team to, to push players into the opposition box for, for a, a sort of long free kick when we didn't need to do that. And I think there was opportunity to also make a couple of subs. 
to to uh, to run the clock down. I mean, fair enough. I, I think we are maybe looking to try and snatch a, a last minute winner ourselves, but I think it might have been better just to settle for the point. And I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't come back to haunt us later in the in the campaign. But I think we're we're, we're nitpicking now. I think uh, as I say, if if you'd say when we started the the, the podcast earlier in into June and uh, the season and, and says by the, the middle of October for this international break we'd be top of the league by a couple of points and still be and qualified again for the Europa League group stages I think we'd all be delighted with that and I know I am Right, there's a few things to unpack there I mean, one of the biggest points for me is you, know, you mentioned a wee bit of naivety there creeping in against young boys and, and, and Gerard setting up tactically wrong against Celtic and I, I absolutely agree but a lot of Gerard's tenure, it seems to me, has been about learning lessons. He's a young manager in his first job in senior football. Um, he's a natural winner. Of course, he is very experienced on the park, but he's still learning about coaching and about team management. So, John, what are the lessons? Obviously, this, you know, as Frankie says, last season's uh, start to the season was the worst in, what, 29 years or whatever it was. And this season, we've dropped three points and we're sat in mid-October top of the table. So there's obviously huge lessons that have been learned from the management team. What are the most important lessons, do you think, that, that Gerard has learned over the past 12 to 18 months? I think he's figured out, to an extent, how to, how to beat the teams we're meant to beat, uh, if that's not too arrogant. Um, I think there was a couple of games this season that had they been played last season, we may well have dropped points. And this season we haven't. So, uh, you know, I think he's learned from that. Uh, one thing we've done this season is we've scored early. You know, we, 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 we're managing to get an, an early goal and there's no doubt that getting an early goal changes the game if you're Rangers because it, it does force the other team. And mainly the other team are playing quite a defensive game against us, particularly at Ibrox. They're looking to frustrate us. They're looking to get the crowd on our back. And so getting an early goal makes a difference. Um, and that, I, I suspect they were trying to get an early goal last season as well. Um, however, I think we he has figured out the intensity that the game needs to start at. Uh, and I think we're a bit more creative this season. I think we have, a, we have more options this season. Um, as we were collecting wide players the summer, I think we were all kind of scratching our heads a little bit, thinking, why are we why are we signing more wingers? But strangely, as the season's gone on, um, that I think he has been proved correct. Um, we needed options. Um, obviously, Kent took his injury quite early on. Jones has been injured, um, which has obviously caused us a problem as well. Um, but you know, we've had options there. O Ojo, for me, still as a player that um, comes in and out of games. You know, he, he, he flatters to deceive at times, yet, you know, he's been pretty much ever-present in uh, this season. And indeed, I think the, the only game he didn't start was the Celtic game, which is obviously the game we lost. Yeah, uh, I don't think, I'm not making the claim that Jojo played that game, we'd have won it. But um, tactically, I, I think he's maybe doing some stuff off the ball that perhaps ignoramuses like me, I'm totally aware of. So, uh, to try and answer your point, I think what he's learned is that there is a need for more creativity, there is a need for more wind, there's a need for more speed, um, uh, 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 particularly at home, um, you know, to, to get the crowd behind the team, but more importantly, get the team one up. Yeah, and I, th I think that's a good point in that it's a combination of smarter management, but also more creative players um, and, and pushing for that early goal. Ojo's, a, Ojo's an enigma to me. Um, it's it, it, he's a player who I, I I agree flatters to deceive and he runs himself into trouble and he's incredibly frustrating to watch. But if you look at the numbers in terms of goals that he scored and chances he's created, he's you know one of the leading lights of the team on paper. Just visually, doesn't he? You know, a, a lot of what he tries doesn't he come off. But um, it's, it's it's a fair point about wingers. I was worried we were stockpiling wingers, but they've all come in, they've all taken a chance, and they've all scored goals and they've all created. Um, so, Frankie, where do you come down on, on Shea Ojo in particular? Because he's a player that it's kind of featuring regularly now in, in almost every podcast, um, in that he's, he's frustrating to watch and that, he, you know, we had such high hopes for him after, you know, Liverpool fans saying when we sign him, they're saying, oh, he's better than Ryan Kent. You'll be more impressed with him than you ever were with Kent. To me, he's 
he's not the same calibre of player as Ryan Kent, and yet his numbers are good. Are we yet to see the best of Shea Ojo, or do we just have to accept the kind of limitations of that kind of player? No, I, th- I think it's just a work in progress. I mean, uh, I think we probably, if you go back a, a, a year to this time last year, we're probably having the same debate about Ryan Kent in terms of um, his contribution. Uh, I mean, the amount of times I remember Kent running down uh, blind alleys and, and losing the ball or making their own decision, it, it happened fairly regularly. And it wasn't until the, probably after the, the new year that he really came into his own and, and was a lot more dangerous. I think he took a lot of confidence for the what the old firm game, and uh, I think that the same is going to happen with Ojo. I think he's he's as much as Scottish football isn't it exactly um, a carbon copy of English football. It's it's still physical. It's still played at a, a decent pace, and um, and that'll take a bit of getting used to. Um, playing Rangers and the expectations of the Rangers fans will take a bit of getting used to, and I think um, just learning your your own teammates. You know, learning where Morelos is going to be where. The, the, the runs Defoe is going to make, if whether he should come inside or outside, whether he should use Barisic or use Tavernier. And, and I think it's also fair to say that Ojo, remember, he's been played on the left-hand side, he's been played on the right-hand side. So he's been moved about as well. So it maybe affects his consistency a wee bit in terms of understanding the, with his fullback. I mean, Candias and, and Tavernier, obviously, they played together for a couple of years um, and... And and they, they work really well together. So I think it's a bit unfair to expect um, Candice's replacement in effect to to uh, to hit the ground running and find that level of understanding right away. So I think there's a lot of potential there. But at the same time, the criticism is definitely merited. He, he does need to improve his decision making in particular. I mean, there's a couple of times I remember the Livingston game uh, a couple of weeks back, and the second half uh, Rangers started coming back into the game a wee bit after. Livingston did quite well either side of half time and, and I think it was Ojo was, was 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 doing a good bit of running actually and retaining the ball well and running the channels well and I think Barisic put him through a couple of times and and there were times I think Morelos was unmarked at the back post and, and Ojo didn't have his head up, didn't realise and, and held on to it and maybe took the wrong option and that's been probably a feature of his play unfortunately and that's something he's going to have to have to address going forward because we do, as as you guys have, have mentioned already, we do now have a lot of options. Kent is going to be fit again fairly soon. I don't know if he'll be fit for the, the Hearts game this weekend or not. Jordan Jones, I think, still a few weeks away, but you've got guys like Stewart that are, are, are doing well. Um, Arfield looks like he's starting to find a bit of form now as well. So um, it's not going to be easy to get a game in, in uh, one of these attacker midfield roles. So at the end of the day, if, if you didn't do the business, then you're, you're not going to get in the team. So um, I kind of hope that that, that um, brings out the best in Ojo and, and all the rest of these guys. There's a, there's a good comment here from, from Chick on the, on the YouTube stream saying, and a reminder is that Alan McLaren says that Shea Ojo plays in second gear. Is there a chance, Frankie, that he's suffering from a little bit of overconfidence or, or maybe even a wee bit of laziness or underestimating the, the standard of opposition up in Scotland? No, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think he's lazy, actually. There, there's a lot of people say he, he doesn't really do the, the, the hard jabs off the ball, but um, it's maybe isn't evident on the TV all the time, but any time I've seen him at Ibrox, um, he, he does work hard off the ball, um, is on the ball and off the ball, um, both in attack and, and defence, actually. He gets back quite well, but not just that, he, he, he moves across the front line all the time, trying to create space, and isn't he always successful? And actually, some of his best work is creating the space for other players, and Sometimes that goes unnoticed on TV, and, and whereas if you're at the game, you can you can see the game a bit more, a bit more um, sort of top down, as it were. Um, so no, I, I don't think he's lazy. Um, is, he, is he playing second gear? That's maybe a bit fairer. I think sometimes he's just a bit lackadaisical on the ball. He could do things a bit quicker because he's bloody quick. There's sometimes he's, he's got that sort of running style. It doesn't make him look quick, but he is really, really quick and. I think sometimes he seems to, when he gets on the ball, that's when he seems to slow it down a bit. I mean, he'd maybe be better being a little bit more direct. Um, and to be honest, I think that's that's it's up to the manager and the, the rest of the coaching team to to address his faults and, and try and, and, and get improvement. Because there is a lot of improvement to be made, there's no doubt about it. But as you mentioned, Ross, the, the stats are pretty good so far. So I think if we can improve on them further, then we'll be doing pretty well, to be honest. Another player that everybody wants to kind of talk about this season is Conor Goldson and his position, um, his position in the squad and his position in the team, the role that he plays, because 
it would be fair to say that he's seemed over the past two seasons now fairly undroppable. Um, actually, again, Chick makes a comment here that, that one of Gerard's biggest faults is an over-loyalty to certain players and that certain players won't get dropped. I've, I've mentioned my reservations about Goldson on the show before about you know, he's always letting the ball drop and that's the first thing you're taught as a centre-half is not to let the ball drop if it's in a dangerous position. Um, obviously now, John, we've got certainly three and, and I'd argue four top quality centre-halves for Scottish football. Do you think that there's a possibility that Goldson's, Goldson's football hasn't been up to scratch this season and yet Gerrard's, you know, maybe over-loyal to Conor Goldson and that he'll find himself not being able to drop him at the team? No, I don't think I don't think he's over loyal. Um, why would he be over loyal? I mean, if we analyse that as a as a as a concept, you know, you could maybe make that as an accusation against, say, Jermaine Defoe, someone he's known for, uh, you know, most of his adult life, someone he's played with uh, international level, someone who I assume he has a personal friendship with. You could maybe make it. You can maybe make it to, to Shea Ojo, who I'm assuming he has known for a long time at Liverpool. Um, you could probably make it about Ryan Kent, who again, someone who's probably known for a long time. Why would you make it about Ryan, about Goldson? You know, Goldson is a player that, you know, he brought in from, I mean, I don't even know if he was his signing or if he was the, um, you know, if he was the director of football signing. I'm not sure uh, who actually brought Goldson in. I thought Goldson had a fantastic season last season. I actually, I think I said this last time I was on. I actually voted for him to be our player of the year. I thought he was our most consistent player last season. I thought he had a fantastic season. Um, and I actually don't think his form has been that bad this season. You know, as, as Frankie said a couple of minutes ago, you know, if at the start of the season you had offered me top of the league by two points um, with, you know, I was still in the League Cup. And, and still very much in the Europa League, he'd have taken that. So, you know, I, I don't think you can look at our defence and say our defence isn't playing well. Goldson is ever-present, and I think that's what you're referring to, the fact that, that Katic comes into the team, plays a few games, goes out, and that um, Hellander comes in, plays a few games, is out. Uh, we even saw um, Ed, Ed, Edmundson come in uh, quite recently. I think Conor Goldson is an extremely good defender and uh, I, I don't think he's undroppable. I think if his form does trip, I think if he is, you know, if, if, he, if he has a few bad games, I think you'll find him at the team. I don't think he's undroppable. I don't think Gerard has favourites, but I think he is a much better player than, than perhaps we've given him credit for. Well, do you think, to make it a wee bit more binary, do you think that he hit, he's already hitting the heights that he did last season? Because I'd agree that last season he was one of the standout performers but he's not this season. Um, so, you know, is, is he playing as well as he did last season? For me, yes, yeah. Yeah, I think he's still having a, I think he's having a good season. Uh, I think... I think defenders... He knows the league better this season, but at the same time, the other teams know him better. So, so there is an element now of, of everybody being used to each other. Um, you know, we have got used to that level of centre-half. That's, that's the, you know, Goldson came in from a, a, an English Premier League team, um, had a very, very strong season. That is now our, our standard level. Um, I think there was a couple of games where uh, he, uh, the game, um, one of the European games, I can't remember which one it was now, uh, but one of the European games, even the Warsaw game, um, I thought that Katic had a very good game. And I thought Goldson was maybe slightly off it. In that match, but I think overall, no, I think in the league, I think Goldson's very strong. No, fair enough. I think it's maybe something to do with the the improvements in the the, the caliber of centre backs. That you know, the depth that we have now, obviously, with Katic has stepped up over the summer. There's there's no argument about that, and no doubt in my mind that Katic has improved and, and shifted up a level over the summer. We've replaced Joe Warrell with Philip Hillander, and that's a huge upgrade. Everyone can see that. Um, we've replaced Gareth McCauley with George Edmondson and in potential alone, that's a huge upgrade as well. So I think, you know, naturally, Conor Goldson's position as the kind of natural outstanding defender in the squad is under threat a wee bit. And I think, I, you know, I get a little bit frustrated because I, I, Katic was, was dropped unfairly, in my opinion. Hollander comes in and out of the team a wee bit unfairly. 
Um, and I, I do have a wee bit of sympathy for the guys that are saying, look, Goldson does seem undroppable at times, but it's a long season and, and, and maybe we're slightly forgetting the fact that we are only in mid-October. There's a long way to go. We're still in all the Cups. We've still got European games to play. Um, it's it's a nice problem to have, to have such such quality at the at centre-half because God knows we've not always had that over the past five or six years. Um, Frankie, before we started this season, I remember being on one of these pods and saying that my expectations for the season would, would be that, I, that we would win one cup, whether that be the League Cup or the Scottish Cup, uh, and that we would finish the season within eight points of the title, um, but probably expect us to still finish second. Have your expectations for the season changed considering how well we've started this year? No, no, really. I, I expect us to, to really challenge Celtic this year. I think we've got a really good squad. I think we've improved it in, in good areas. I think the manager's a year down the line. I think he's more experienced. I think um, I think Celtic's... Uh, it's, it's quite hard to judge, actually. I mean, I've watched a bit of them this season and, and they're, they're sort of a bit like us. They, they play well in periods and then other times they, they look a bit dodgy. Um, they, they do look like they could be get, got at, at the back, for example. And that, that's one of the reasons why, obviously, we were all uh, so frustrated with the the, the lineup um, when we played them at Ibrox. So, no, I, I was I was expecting Rangers to put up a good challenge this year, and and and, uh, and I'm really glad that we've started the season so well because I think I think we're we're just as good as Celtic, and I don't think there's any reason why we can't take it all the way. Um, I think definitely we should be doing well in the cup competition, certainly better than last year. I mean, to go out to Aberdeen in the in the semi final last year in the League Cup was was disappointing, and then they say in the Scottish Cup, it's we really need to. We really need to do better in, in, in these competitions. The Europe, Europa League, obviously, again, I think that's a bit of a free hit. I think we've done what we probably set out to do, and, and that's reached the group stage. I think if we could qualify from it, it would be excellent, but it's certainly uh, low on my list of priorities. I think I think the league's the main thing. Um, but I think at the same time, to, to win a league, I think you need to have a consistency right across your season. So I, I think it's if if you're doing well in the Cups and well in Europe as well, then you will... But by by natural uh, progression, you'll do well in the league as well, just because the confidence there, the morale's there, the momentum's there, uh, the fans are, are happy. So I, I think um, I think I, I think we should we should be doing well. I think we should be challenging Celtic, and and uh, I, I think it's job done so far. Uh, clearly, there's a long way to go. So, um, but there's no absolutely no reason at all why we can't win this league this season. Do you still feel that way? Now, Ross, now that we're into October, do you still feel that that would be an acceptable return? Quite honestly, no, I don't. I think one cup and eight points away would not be an acceptable return um, anymore. Just because of the way that we've started the season, because of the, um, the momentum that we've obviously picked up, we're smarter. We're so much smarter. Our game management is better than it ever was last year. Um, like you say, we're, we're breaking down teams quickly and we're getting the early goal. Um, and, and forcing teams to come out a wee bit. And that's why we're, we're seeing scores like 4-5-0 repeatedly, right? It's not one-off. Um, so no, actually, if, if, we're, if we're eight points behind at the end of the season, I will not be happy with that because, because of where we are now. I think if we can, you know, the, the, the next run of games when we get back, the next six or seven games, and I know that a lot of those games are away from home, so it's going to be a different kind of test to what we've had over the past couple of months. But this is a really, really crucial time for us. I think actually my expectations from the start of the season have changed and they've got, you know, that bar has got higher now. I expect a bit more because this team has already surpassed my expectations or they're showing that they're, they're showing that they're better than I thought they would be because I wasn't honestly too blown away by some of our transfer dealings. I thought letting go of Candias was a huge mistake. I thought the replacements that we brought in for him weren't up to much. You know, I couldn't see why we would bring in the likes of Jordan Jones, Brandon Barker, um, all right, you know, you, you learn your lessons from them and, and we have to trust the management team, but I wasn't blown away by it. Um, so now, no, I do expect a wee bit more than I did, say, three months ago, which is good, which is how it should be. Um, listen, what I want to do now is kind of shift focus away from on-field stuff. There's there's a, a fair amount been going on over the last week or two off the field. And I know that last week on the pod, everyone that was listening on will know this, was that... Um, it was very, very heavily rumoured that Ross Wilson would be coming up to Glasgow in, in the capacity of director of football to replace Mark Allen. Um, over the past seven days, that rumour seems to have grown and grown and then 
been confirmed by a number of media outlets saying, yeah, the, the contact's been made and that a deal's been done with Southampton and that they're just kind of waiting for the right timing to announce it all. Just before we came on air, actually, we were alerted to the fact that the BBC are now reporting that it's deal done. There's a lot of pe people saying that he's been spotted in and around Glasgow. Um, so it looks very much like this is happening and that um, an announcement probably will be made tomorrow, I'd expect. Now, John, you're one of these progressive, forward-thinking, academic football types. Is a director of football role really compatible with the industrious, agricultural nature of Scottish football? Oh, sorry, is it me you're talking to? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, yes, it is. It absolutely is. Um, I think we get, we get too hung up on titles. Um, we get too hung up on, on, uh, on that type of thing. Um, director of football is, is basically the guy who's going to come in and be the managing director um, of the business. And I think that side of it is, I think it makes a lot of sense to have somebody doing that role. Um, and I don't see it as a threat to Gerard. And I think if Gerard is producing on the park, then there is absolutely no way any board of Rangers is going to side with the director of football over Gerard. Um, and I don't think the fans would. Um, Gerard has got a lot in the bank still with the fans. Um, and I think that's what some people are worried about. I think a number of supporters are concerned, you know, what does this mean for Gerard? Does this, you know, what happens if they fall out? Will Gerard leave? Um, and that, that side of it doesn't worry me. Um, so I think the concept is fine. I don't have an issue with the concept. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it can work in Scotland. I see no reason why it can't work in Scotland. In fact, I think the fact that it's not as prevalent in Scotland is probably why Scottish football, uh, or one of the reasons why Scottish football is in the state of I think my only concern over Ross Wilson, and I don't, know, don't claim to know an awful lot about him, um, but I am a little surprised at his age. He's had, I read he was he's 35, which I think is, is quite young. Um, to be taking on a job at Rangers. And that would be my only concern. You've got a young manager, young and experienced manager, and now a fairly young, I don't know, is it fair to describe him as inexperienced? It probably possibly isn't. But, um, and with all due respect to Southampton, the Rangers job is, is a significantly more, uh, the Rangers job is a job where you are in much, much higher profile. You know, the, the, the spotlight, the scrutiny he will come under it was not something he will have experienced at Southampton, uh, or I doubt any other job he's been in. Um, so I suppose my only concern isn't that we've appointed a director of football. I think that's a good thing. Um, I don't know Ross. Uh, I don't know who Ross Wilson is, particularly other than what I've read in the media. My only concern, I think, slightly is his age that he's a touch uh, inexperienced. But time will tell. What can what can the club do to kind of mitigate against that risk of inexperience? Well, I mean, clearly they've, they've done due diligence on him. I mean, if memory serves correctly, he was he was linked before. Um, but he was linked last time around as well, wasn't he? Before before Mark Allen was appointed, have I just made that up? It was no, he was linked, and I have a feeling that he turned down the job at the time. But considering the circumstances and 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 the state of the club, I don't think anyone really could blame him for turning down that job, especially to be the first director of football at, at a club like Rangers. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess we may find out in the, the coming days uh, his reasons for turning it down last time. But but clearly the, the club have done some sort of due diligence on him. They, he's, he's Scottish, isn't he? Um, so I suppose he has that going for him in terms of him understanding the landscape. I don't mean that, I don't think his nationality is particularly relevant other than it at least gives him some insight into the media here, uh, fan expectations, the other clubs in the league, that type of thing. So I suppose that helps. Um, the fact he's worked, um, you know, the fact he's been at a club at Southampton, Southampton almost certainly have a bigger budget than Rangers in terms of um, the, the players that they can recruit. But I suspect at times they are probably fishing in the same pool as Rangers uh, in terms of, of looking at European leagues, uh, in terms of looking at, at that side of things. So I suppose he probably brings some insight uh, there. I guess if you go and get, um, you know, somebody who's at uh, perhaps one of the top English sides, um, you know, they're probably looking at, at different types of players from, from uh, clubs that, you know, are not relevant to us. So I suppose there's a relevance there. Um, 
and I, and I guess all they can do is support him. You know, I, I guess all they can do is, is make sure that he has the tools he needs. Uh, I don't see what else they can do. Um, you know, there is a structure of the place. There is a team playing decent football. Stadium's full every week. You know, there, there is a buzz behind us just now. You know, it, it sounds like the perfect time to take the job. Um, you know, Mark Allen had, well, from a player perspective, and I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I don't know what structures he's put in place. From a player, from a fan's perspective, you look at the players they brought in, and and he had some misses. You know, he had a few there that you think, you know what? Even when they signed, and um, you were scratching your head a little bit, thinking, why have they brought him in? Um, and uh, you know, and, and you were, that was proven correct. Now he's had some successes clearly as well. Um, but I think we still remain. You know, nobody is. I don't think anyone shed tears when Mark Allen decided he was moving on. I think a few people were concerned, you know, will that cause disruption? We've brought in somebody quite quickly, so clearly disruption will be minimal. Um, all we can do is give the guy support. That's all anyone can do when they bring in somebody new. I think it's important as well, John, to, just to say that he's, he's not inexperienced. He is only 35, I think 36 now, actually, but he's, he's actually been doing this kind of work now since 2004, when he started off at Falkirk. So he's been doing it for the best part of 15 years. So um, that's almost half his life. So he's, he's been, you know, um, you can actually get his LinkedIn page. And I mean, at Falkirk, he was there for for um, for seven years. He was head of football development and, and football administration at Watford. He was only at Watford for a year. And he was a, a business director. And then he moved on to, to Huddersfield. And I think that's where he sort of really made his name a bit more there for three years, which got him the job at Southampton because he did what Mark Allen did. He actually established a, a, a more modern scouting system and worked with the first team manager to on their playing squad and the same with the academy, just what Mark Allen did. And it is less so in terms of achievements at Southampton. And obviously, I think his first year Southampton finished sixth and then his second year they were eighth, something like that. Since then, the last couple of years, obviously, they've been down towards the bottom of the league, sort of fighting relegation. So in some respects, people and Southampton fans might say that the, the recruitment part hasn't of his role maybe hasn't really worked very well. But um, I mean, if you can sign Van Dyke for Celtic and then sell him for what seventy five million to Liverpool, then you're you're doing something right there, you know. So I I, I think he's a good fit for Rangers. I think um, we did approach him a couple of years ago, and I think he was definitely interested. Um, I think it, the problem was is he was still at Southampton at that time. And, and doing well. So it was a bit of risk in terms of his uh, profile, his reputation to go to Rangers, which in some respects maybe still a bit of a basket case. You don't know exactly where they're going in terms of investment, things like that. So um, who the manager was going to be. Um, there was all these little things that this guy's in the English Premier League. He doesn't really need to, to step down back to Scottish football. However, this time, um, I, th I think Mark Allen's put a lot of... Uh, things in place at Rangers, so the, the, the role probably isn't as big as what it might have been two years ago. So I, I think probably Ross can can see it for what it is and a, an opportunity to really come in and, and work on what market the, the, the foundations that Mark's put in place, work with Gerard and, and and really take Rangers to the next level. And I'm kind of hoping that's, that's what's going to happen. Now, Frankie, before we appointed Mark Allen, there was a fair bit of um, confusion and, and, and maybe a wee bit of discontent amongst the Rangers fans that, that we were getting a director of football, you know, maybe it works in, in Spain and Italy, but how is it relevant to the, the setup of Scottish football? Do you think that the work that Mark Allen has done has changed that perception of the fans? Obviously, you um, have a lot of interaction with, with a load of different supporters. Do you think that the perception of the role of the director of football is maybe a bit more relevant or, or, or that the fan base are happier that we're still pursuing the director of football model? I think at the end of the day, Ross, it's all it's a results-driven business. I, I, I don't think Rangers fans would probably care about the model um, as long as we're winning, as long as we're winning titles. However, we'll not be winning titles. So I think it's important to to modernise the club. Um, I think I think we had to do that. I think that, that everything that happened um, in 2011, 2012, we, we effectively had to start again. And there was stuff at the club that wasn't really working very well. I think, I think the youth system has been doing well in parts but I think it's definitely improved in recent years I think we really had to set up our, our, our scouting for scratch um, I, I think our, our staffing levels have increased I think obviously Gerard's brought in a big team with him um, so I think uh, I think we're going to talk about whenever 
the time comes that Jared moves on, he's got to take a lot of these guys with him, more than likely. So there's there's this continuity and management behind the scenes that, that goes on top of the sort of coaching side that that, that Gerard's on. I mean, the, 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 the director of football role is, is misunderstood a bit. I think it's, it's really all-encompassing. And your manager, your football manager, doesn't really have time for the, the size of clubs nowadays to do everything that's involved, your sports science, your statistics, your analysis, stuff like that. It's, it's you'd be a 24-hour job, you know? So I think you really need to have somebody that's in above the manager and they can see the whole club and manage it from there. And I think that's what Alan did to an extent. And I think that's what Ross Wilson will do. And I think it's important to do that. If you if you want to take the club forward and and, and have um, a, a coaching system that works well, a, a scouting system that works well, and a youth system that works well, then you need more than just a, your old school orthodox manager, you know? So um, I think that's what how we've got to see it. And it might not work. Every time, I don't think it's like any player or any manager. It's not everyone's going to be successful, but you can only do your due diligence and try and get the right people in and and, and take it from there. And I, I think Ross Wilson's a good appointment. I think it's a sensible one. He's Scottish. He knows the game inside out up here. And um, he's maybe been away for a few years, fair enough. But I know he keeps a close eye and stuff. So um, I, I think it's a good appointment, and, and I'm really looking forward to to seeing what he does. Just just on that, just for two seconds, just to, to go back to the question you asked. Um, at the start of this part of the, the pod, back in the 70s, and uh, uh, just to give you an idea that, that not, you know, not every idea is new, you know, Rangers manager Willie Waddle stepped up and took on a new role at Rangers, and it wasn't called director of football, but, but for all intents and purposes, it seems to have been director of football. And then Jock Wallace became what we call the manager, but in actual fact, was a first team coach. And that worked pretty well. I mean, Wallace won two trebles. He stopped Celtic winning 10 in a row. Um, and, and by all accounts, um, Willie Waddle and Jock Wallace didn't actually get on all that well. However, they were able to make that work uh, where, where Willie Waddle looked after other aspects of the football operations and, and Jock Wallace looked after coaching the first team. So, you know, it's not, it's not a new idea. Uh, I appreciate things have changed since then, and as Frankie rightly says, things like sports science and, and, and you know all of these areas now, um, are, you know, you can see two or three, four different people employed there. These people need managed. These people need, um, you know, their careers, their aspirations, etc. Need looked after. You can't expect Steve Gerrard to do that. Um, so I think the concept of a director of football is, is not a new one, and I think as I said, it's just really the titles that that have changed. No, I think that's a fair point. Um, there seems to be a fair bit of excitement floating around about Ross Wilson. Everyone on the YouTube stream here seems to be saying that it's a good choice, that everyone's all you know had very good things. Um, very, very interesting summary there that Frankie could give us on his career. So it's, um, I think it's encouraging to, to keep moving in this direction. Obviously, the boy, like you say, knows Scottish football. Um, well, hopefully, that means he'll kind of understand you know, the reasons why transfers like Eros Gresda might not work out a wee bit more sophisticated than Mark Allen would have understood that point. So I think it's, you know, it's a waiting game. Let's wait and see how he does, but it's, it's certainly very positive. And I'm glad that this appointment of a successor to Mark Allen wasn't dragged out as, as much as it could have been. Um, you know, I, I think the current border Rangers don't have a great track record in terms of replacing important people quickly. If you think back to, you know, how, how long it took for us to replace Mark Warburton with a permanent appointment in Caixinha and then how long it took to replace Caixinha with a permanent appointment in Gerard, it would have been kind of true to form for this board to, to sit around and, and wait and find, you know, take a long, long time to find the right guy to, to fill the job. But they seem to have moved reasonably quickly here, which I think is a positive thing. Um, speaking of the board, John, one of the bigger pieces of news to come out this week was the, the kind of long awaited finale to the Dave King takeover appeal panel um, saga. Now, what they're saying the takeover appeal was that Dave King has been cold-shouldered because he failed to comply with their rulings uh, of making the obligatory offer. Now, this is a hugely complicated, hugely protracted legal saga that's been through the courts. Um, it's been kind of spoken about in the media, but no one really seems to understand the, the technicalities of the business laws that are in play here. The more important question for me, John, was, was this whole thing avoidable? You know, was this it was this negative PR that the club simply didn't need to, and was it was it just a case of Dave King perhaps being stubborn and not wanting to comply rather than truly being unable to comply? 
I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to keep Jersnet out of court when I, when I answer this. Okay, I don't know if he chose, if he couldn't comply. I don't know that. I don't have that insight. So, and it would be, it would be foolish of me to even guess at that. You have to take the man at his word when he said that it, it was basically impossible because of South African law and, and the fact he was living in South Africa and that he couldn't do it. Um, I think there are, there are two sides to this, Ross. There is, there's the legal side. And as you say, you know, is this bad PR? Well, it's not good PR. You know, I think, we, let's be frank, it's not good PR. You know, this type of story um, isn't wonderful. The, you know, the, that we've heard that the SFA or the SPFL or whatever this, um, I'm not too sure which body it is that's looking at it, but are now looking at, you know, yeah, this kind of fit and proper um, director. Uh, you know, uh, we could do without that. There'll be a lot of pressure from the media. There'll be a lot of pressure from different people being put on them to say, you know what, this guy, you know, he's had um, issues with tax back over in South Africa. He's now found this. Should this guy be allowed to be? The, and they're just making mischief. And they are just making mischief because... Uh, you know, if we have a look at even the recent history of Scottish football, it's littered with people who should not have been allowed anywhere near a football club. And I suspect if we were to um, spend enough time, we could have a look at the current Scottish football clubs and find quite a few people who shouldn't be allowed anywhere near um, uh, the running of a football club even today. So, but it gives them the ammunition. Uh, so it's not great publicity. Um, I think. I think the other side of this is, what did the support think? And Dave King, in my opinion, Dave King still has most of the support on his side. Um, you know, it's, it's not wonderful what's happened. You know, I don't fully understand it. I don't claim to be, I'm certainly not an accountant. I don't claim to be um, a business genius. Um, I'm not involved in any business at that kind of level. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not wonderful what's happened to him. Um, and it's okay for him to say at this moment in time, this won't affect Rangers, it won't make a difference. Unfortunately, none of us know what's going to happen in 12 months' time. Or, you know, we are living in interesting times. Let's just say that, that um, you know, the, the, the country may look entirely different, frankly, in a month's time, far less than 12 months' time. So, so um, none of us are terribly sure, you know, where we'll all be and, and what structures we'll be working to um, and what... Uh, how this might come back and, and matter. So, uh, you know, I, I take his, I took his uh, press release with a pinch of salt, um, but I think he still has his support on side. And I think the support look at it and think, you know what, on balance, he might have broken some rules. He might have bent some rules. Um, what we're pleased he did. Because, you know, uh, considering what was there before, I think the support prefer Dave King and, and his colleagues. And if they had to achieve what they've achieved by um, by not complying with certain fiscal laws, um, I think the support just now, I think the support forgiven. Um, if you're going to ask me, should we? If you're going to ask me, should we know more about it? Should we care more about this? The answer probably is yes. We probably should care more about it. We probably should be warier. However, I think as a support, I think we have decided to trust Dave King and, and his colleagues and we're allowing them to, to run the club as they see fit um, without too much scrutiny. You know, I, I've noticed um, you know, any, any of the, the media that have publicly questioned this um, have been fairly roundly criticised by the support, certainly the online support for whoever representative they are. I mean, you know, there's been quite a bit of criticism of any media that have suggested that perhaps this Dave King looked at. Um, so, so that's where I'm getting my feeling that the majority of the support still want to feel it's worth it and that Dave King has done nothing wrong in inverted commas. Um, however, I, I still feel as a support should perhaps be slightly, slightly more concerned that um, we aren't following the rules. However, um, we were in a funny situation and you know, personally, I'm more comfortable with our current board of directors than I was with the last board of directors. Well, look, that's, that's where I'll absolutely agree with you, is that the position that we're in now is so, so much more preferable to the alternative. The thing that I, I would slightly disagree with 
Dave King's statement, and Frankie, maybe you have an opinion on this, is Dave King says in his statement that the ruling has no impact on the running of the club. So Rangers Football Club is totally unaffected by the ruling or by the saga, by the media stories around all of this. To me, that's not true. That that intrinsically cannot be true because anything that happens with Dave King um, will always have a, an impact on the club, at least in terms of PR. So do you think King's maybe being a little bit naive or is he simply trying to reassure the support that, look, this is done, you don't need to worry about it, um, you know, ev- everything's fine, this is this is more about my personal liability? Um, a bit of both. I, I think, um, generally speaking, I, I think we've got to move on for this now. I think um, Dave King is in charge along with the rest of the guys that are putting in their, their hard-earned cash uh, for the benefit of Rangers just now. And I think the, the, the main part for me was was the, the, the takeover uh, statement was, was he was doing it solely for his love of the club. Can you say the same about Craig White or the, the Yorkshireman with the big hands or any of the rest of these guys that were involved before? David Summers? No, none of them. Um, Dave King isn't perfect. I think I've said that a lot of times on, on the website over the years. I think I've criticised them more than most. I, I, I definitely reserve that right to do that going forward. However, since he's came back in 2015, I think he's done by and large what he said he would do. He'd stabilise the club, he'd invest money into the club, he'd attract investment to the club, and he would turn Rangers around. And I think he's been doing that. I think it takes time. Doesn't it, it was never going to happen in four years. We're never going to win the league again. However, we're getting close to it, very close to it. We're top of the league now. We're doing well in Europe. So I think um, I think the guy deserves a bit of, a bit of praise, as does the, the rest of the board. They're doing a fairly decent job, to be honest. What happened in 2012 under Craig White and, and your man Charles Green and all the rest of these chancers um, was nothing short of disgusting. And... What what the difference here with, with what King done is is night and day. He was doing what he did. He maybe cut a few corners here or there, but he was doing it for the benefit of Rangers, not for the betterment of himself. And I think that that's important to to, to bear that in mind going forward. Yes, it, it probably wasn't ideal for a PR outlook for it to happen, and yes, it might well affect different things going forward here or there. But generally speaking, I think that. The, the cold shoulder has more to do with any sort of takeover work in Britain in the future. So the, the likelihood of doing that is, is is pretty low, to be honest, anyway. So I don't, I don't think it does really affect Rangers that much. Um, King's a stubborn guy. I've never met him, I must admit. Um, I don't know him, but he, he certainly appears a stubborn guy. And I don't think you, you, you earn the kind of money and success in business that he has in his life, personal life, without being stubborn, without maybe making mistakes without um, having an ego and that's all well and good but at the end of the day all I'm interested in is Rangers doing well and Rangers winning stuff again and and, and, and King promised us that he would get us back to that competitive to, sorry, that bring us back that success and I think we're getting towards that and I think that's what we, we concentrate on now Well I think that's a very eloquent answer Frankie um it's, yeah, you, you're right, and it is now. King says we can put this behind us. I believe we can put this behind us. I think there will be a little sideshow in the media of talking about should Dave King still be considered a fit and proper person? Um, the answer is resoundingly yes. Of course he's a fit and proper person. Um, so you're right. It's, it's a saga now that can be put to bed. It's it, Hopefully it won't have any kind of lasting impact on the team, and it's, it's something that in 10 years' time, no one will remember that the takeover panel will exist. Um, guys, just before we wrap up, I'd like to just say a quick word about the, the Legends game that took place at Ibrox yesterday. Um, first things first, Frankie, a turnout of in excess of 30,000. How surprised were you to see that? Pretty surprised, actually, I must admit. Um, I fancied going. As I say, my, my, my youngest daughter's away, so I was trying to persuade my oldest daughter and my wife to, to go through yesterday. I didn't normally attend friendlies, but the prospect of Gerard the Put on a Rangers shirt sort of tempted me and obviously it tempted quite a lot of others. Um, clearly raising money for charity is a, a, a bonus as well. Um, but to get 30,000 there, I was quite surprised when I was watching it on YouTube yesterday. It was a fantastic crowd and and it's a, a, these things are pretty good. As I say, they didn't really overly interest me. But um, if you want to get your kids to go to football matches but didn't want the, the sort of competitive nature, of, even, even League Cup games, you, it can be quite rowdy and things like that. 
these type of games and friendlies are can can be pretty useful to, to sort of take your kid along for the first time or, or maybe an, an older member of the family that you, you didn't really want to go to a game where it's more busy, you know, things like that. So um, it, it was good good to see that. And I, I enjoyed watching the game on, on YouTube. So I'm sure the, 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 the folk that, that went along, it was a nice day. I thought, I'm sure they, they enjoyed it as well. And obviously it was capped off with Gerard coming on for the last 10 minutes in the, with, with the Rangers strip. It was just a shame we, we couldn't get an equaliser towards the end of the game. Ah, that's exactly right. How about you, John? Other than the um, obviously the benefit of seeing Stephen Gerrard number eight in a in a blue shirt, what are the what are the benefits for the club of putting on events like this? Well, to go back to your last question, I think it's good PR as opposed to the, the other type of PR which we've attracted an awful lot of over the last decade or so. Um, so there is that. I think that you know, look, if you can raise money for. Uh, Liverpool charity and the Rangers charity, and they all do some very, very good work. And that, you know, why wouldn't you? You know, there's a. It's not like there was any. You know, none of the people playing um, are, are playing this weekend, so there's no danger there for uh, folk getting injured. Uh, it's a nice day out. Uh, it's. A, I think one of the good things about these types of games, it's a chance for, you know, parents to introduce their children to a game. You know, to come along, see a game, come to the, you know, come to Ibrox, you'll be able to get seats together, which is a difficult thing just now for um, for people who don't have season tickets. Uh, so I think it's quite good. I think it works quite well from that aspect. Um, but I think, generally speaking, I think it just kind of gives a kind of nice feeling towards the club. Uh, it's it's it's. Do you remember? I remember kind of one of the first times I did this. Brian Loudrop played, and it, it, the thought of seeing Loudrop again playing for Rangers. What um, was was wonderful for somebody of my age, you know, the, the chance of seeing him just one more time, um, and he didn't disappoint. He was he was great. Um, so I guess there's guys, I don't know, maybe guys your age who thought, you know, a chance to see Nacho Novo one more time or, or or whoever, Michael Moles one more time, that that type of thing. It, it, there's you know, the part of football, a big big part of football, probably the most important part of football is is the emotion, is is the the uh, you know that side of it. You know, an attachment to players, an attachment to, to seasons and teams. Um, and so to see some of these guys pull on the shot again, I think it's, it's, that's part of it. That, that's part of football. You know, that's what, that's what you love about football. That's the romance of it. That's just it, isn't it, John? And, and to see all those different elements coming together, to see your, your old heroes turning out one more time, um, you know, particularly you know, fresh in the memory, obviously, of the passing of Fernando Ricks, and it's quite poignant to see some of the the teammates that he had turning out for Rangers again, I'm sure it was a, a very emotional time for, for some of them. But then also the charity, the money that we raised for the charity is wonderful. The fact that you can bring along family members and introduce them to the game, which, are, you know, I've, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of um, of messages of people tweeting online saying, you know, taking the wee one to the game for the first time. And it's it's a fantastic atmosphere to do that. There's there's no edge to it. There's no hostility. Um, it's it, You know, there's really no downside to events like these and, and hopefully there's there's plenty more to come. Um, listen, gents, I reckon that's that's probably all that we've got time for this evening. Um, so I'd like to say a, a massive thank you to both Frankie and to John for their insightful contributions this evening. Um, and thank you to everyone as well who's, who's commented on the on the YouTube stream. I'm sorry that we couldn't get to more of them, but it's been great to see the, the debate that's been going on there. Make sure that you do head over to the website at www.jersnet.co.uk to catch up on all the latest news, all the opinions, um, we always have match previews up there as well as some, some really great articles as well as the friendly discussion forum where you can catch up with myself, with Frankie and with John. Uh, remember that the show will be back from next Sunday with a look back at the Hearts game uh, and also previewing the trip away to Portugal. So listen, all that's left for me to say is a massive, massive thank you for listening and have a great week. <laughs>